Merry Christmas to everybody ahead of time. It's like Christmas all, see, all month long, right? Looking forward to uh, those times and uh, those gatherings. I was watching online and seeing some of the individuals who've been attending Christmas parties already. How many have already been to a Christmas party? <laughs> Look at that, all right? You know, and, and you've been eating, you've been filling yourself up and been enjoying the company of other people. Uh, some of you have been to workplaces. You got some uh, bonuses and some things like that. You praise the Lord for that, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's good. We're glad to be able to be here today to be able to share with you in this uh, month as we look and forward towards uh, this celebration of not just a gift giving day. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's not just the moment. It's not just 10 days from now, but it is a season that we're in in which the whole world, it's incredible when you think about it, what an opportunity we have that the whole world is focused and talking about Christmas. And you can't have Christmas without having Christ, right? Christ miss, all right? And so, you know, this series that we're in is called uh, This Christmas the King is Coming, all right? Now, this is not a prophetic statement that I think that on December 25th that Jesus is coming back for the second time, all right? Not talking about that. But we are talking about preparation for his return and that the message is the same, all right, that he was going to come back for us. How many of you are thankful that, that uh, as much as you like this world, that you're looking forward to heaven. Is there anybody here that today that's like that? Yeah? I'm like that, all right? Be, by, by the way, I want to just kind of take a tangent for a moment. How many appreciate the, the beautiful decor that we have here? Isn't that awesome? Amen. I want to thank uh, Kim Rogers for heading up a team and their, her life group. Uh, raise your hand if you helped uh, or if you just helped with us or helped set this up. Okay, put your hand up in the air. We want to show appreciation to you. You helped in the decorations. God bless you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time out there on the Sunday afternoon and, and putting all this together for us. So go ahead and if you would, uh, I want to draw your attention to a scripture verse. Because this scripture verse, I want to be a scripture verse that we look forward to with excitement and anticipation, all right? See, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. How many of you know the Lord's a planner? He's got an agenda, all right? His agenda is that all of us will be able to have relationship with him all the days of our lives, all right? And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy and are blessed and are those who hear it and to take it to heart. Take it to heart. You know, there's some people who don't know how to take things to heart, if you don't know what that means, that means that you can count on it. Within, the Bible says this, it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right? So what you have in your heart, you, it, it comes out. I've heard some people say, well, I really didn't mean that. <laughs> How many of you know that your, 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 your mouth sometimes betrays what's within your heart? But, you know, it's not a forever, you know, mistake. You can go ahead and change the heart. I love that part. But you could take it to heart what is written in it because the time is near. Near, I say. Okay, go ahead and go to verse number 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen, right? I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So today we're not just looking at a historical event or something that took place. We're just not celebrating something all month long that happened in the past. 
But we who are alive in Christ have something that we're looking forward to in the future, right? Raise your hand and say, yes, amen, that's me. I'm looking forward to that. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for being here and allowing for me to be able to, uh, to break this down, to take a look at this historical event as far as what happened and to celebrate your coming to earth. But, Lord, that we would also find a way in which we should live in recognition of what you've already accomplished. Lord, to prepare ourselves, to prepare this earth, Lord, that your kingdom is come. Jesus said it. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. It's near. John the Baptist talked about Jesus coming. There's all this set up and getting ready for us to receive you. You came, you lived, you set us free, and now you promise us that you're coming back again. Help us, God, to, to just to relish, to, 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 to bask in this awareness that, that you have not forgotten us, that it's not for uh, the events of today are, are not meaningless, but they have purpose. We give you praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks ago we started this and we said this. We said that the reason that you have the rights that you have are because of the rights that he has. He is right, rightfully the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And because of that, you are joint heirs with him. <laughs> now, I, I, like to be, I like to be family to, to a king, right? <laughs> I, I like that, that he has given to me this access into this, this realm, all right? And then we said last week is that his arrival gives us supernatural access. Listen, you are not bound by the things of this world, the physical things that are just happening around you. He has given you supernatural access, things that are beyond the ordinary. Some people look at you and they might see events that are happening in your life and they may be wondering, how come it is that you always have a smile? How come it is that you kind of try to find the, the good side of things rather than the bad? How come that is? Listen, I don't want you to play this down. I don't want you to think that you're just all that and, you know, and you're just wired in order to be an optimist. I want to tell you something. I think that God's done something in people who find an ability to find the good out of something bad, Right? Those people who could take the lemons and squeeze them into lemonade, right? <laughs> I, I, I tell you, there's, there's a supernatural insight. If, you'll, if you will look into this and find, why is it that I'm still going on when so much has gone wrong? There's, not, there's probably not a one of us in here who doesn't have a woe unto me story, right? You've had some times in which you could have thrown in the towel and everybody could have looked at you and said, you know what, I understand why you feel like you want to give up. But the thing is, is that he did something supernatural for us and he passed on to us this access to the supernatural abilities that are ourselves, all right? And so, and then today I want to share you this with you. Our response to his coming changes everything. How you respond to this message, it will change everything, all right? That you will either be very motivating to other people who have not yet understood it or you will find yourself of having no effect at all. But it's going to affect things. See, if we do not respond to this message of Jesus coming back with the zeal, with the excitement, with the adoration, then what we play into is, is the belief that's within the world today that is really just a, a, a bunch of made-up emotional hoopla, all right? And, and, and we, we who know Christ, we who have been saved, know that it is so much more than that. So your response 
to his coming changes everything. I love the uh, book that was written by John Bevere a number of years ago. And the subtitle of that, the, the title of the book is called The Bait of Satan. And then in it, he says, our response determines what? Does anyone remember what it says? Anyone know that? Familiar with that book enough? Our destiny. Your response determines your destiny. Your response to the bait of Satan. How about this? Our response to the good news of Jesus arriving, our response to the good news of Jesus is coming back again, is going to change everything. Look at your neighbor and say, I want to change everything. I want it to change, all right? So in Matthew chapter 2, we find this particular passage, and it is the, uh, the record of Jesus coming here to earth, but the celebration that takes place by those who people are around him. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? These people, all right, they're traveling around. They're called Magi here. We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with, was with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This story, this particular account of a group of people who oftentimes we refer to as the three kings or the three wise men because of the three gifts, were magi. And these magi came from afar to worship the one who was going to be born the king of the Jews. Now there's some oddities about this whole scenario. He wasn't their king, but he was the king of the Jews. And yet from what they could see, from what they could foresee, from the, the writings that they had seen, from the studies that they had done, they saw that this arrival was going to change everything. The historical, the event that took place was going to change everything. There was a variety of factors, of course, that was in play that they probably didn't understand. I doubt they understood at that point in time, that this child that was going to be born was the very incarnate God himself, being Emmanuel, which is God with us. I don't think that they understood the, that this baby being born at that time was going to be the one who was going to take your place, my place, and the place of everybody who's ever sinned, take away all the sins of the world. I don't think they understood that at that time. All they knew is that there was a king 
who was going to be born. And this king, this little baby, deserved to be worshipped. Deserved to be honored. Deserved to be adored. And it's incredible that they would, that they would search for this one born king of the Jews. It compelled them to travel from a foreign land to search around, really not knowing all the details of where they were going to go. How many of you have ever seen the movie? I ask this every single year because not everybody has still seen it. But one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies, all right, that I, I like to look on is um, it's called The Fourth Wise Man. All right, I want you to raise your hand if you have not seen The Fourth Wise Man yet. All of you are in store for a treat. Look it up on Netflix. Look it up someplace and find the fourth wise man, all right? Now, you might say, Pastor, it's just um, Hollywood or it's, you know, it's just a movie. I know it is. But I think I I I just get stirred when I see this hypothetical, fictional storytelling of where maybe some, a wise man who do, couldn't hook up with the other three or the other individuals who were traveling together and now in search for joining the, the, the parade of those other magi uh, set out to, to find Jesus only to get de- detoured and distracted and think that his whole life was a, was a waste only to find out. That's, I'm not, I'm not going to give you a spoiler. I'm not going to give you a spoiler there, okay? I'm, I'm not going to tell you anything more. I'm going to spoil it for you. But I want to tell you something. It is a great movie. Look it up. It's called The Fourth Wise Man, all right? There's enough of you. Two-thirds of you haven't seen it. It's, it's an amazing movie. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I marvel over Herod's, uh, you know, I mean, the Magi's response, but I also am struck by this irrational behavior of a, uh, of the, just hold it there. You yeah, don't go on to the next ones, if you will, please. Uh, to the uh, to King Herod. <laughs> King Herod would be jealous of a little baby. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute, Sue. But what will paranoia will do to us? I mean, he was so horrified that he was willing to kill all the infants in the vicinity of Bethlehem. But then, thirdly, we're going to talk about today about the response of the entire city of Jerusalem. How is it that one baby being born stirred up and made difficult for King Herod, but also troubled all of Jerusalem? So we're going to look at that. But then ultimately, we're going to ask ourselves, how do we respond to this news of the baby being born, but not only that, but to the second coming? What is your response? Because we are set up, believe it or not, to be like the people of Jerusalem a whole lot more than what you think. We are set up to be a people who will either receive with much joy this anticipated return of Jesus Christ or to act as if it has no significance at all. And I suggest to you that our response will change everything. So take a look, first of all, at remembering how the Magi responded. You know, we don't know a whole lot about the Magi from scriptures. We have to dig into some other extra uh, readings and some historical books to find out about the Magi. But we find that they were from the east. Could have been northern Iraq, uh, Iran, 
Persia. These were individuals whom probably not kings like sometimes we see of them, but probably were people of influence or affluence. They uh, may have been individuals who were well-educated. They were probably, I mean, they were educated, not just um, on, on the sense of astronomy, all right, but they, were, they would study the stars. They had studied the prophecies. And this news of this child being born had so stirred them. Now, once again, they're studying the prophecies of a foreign nation. But something happened within them that connected that made them think that this child who was going to be born was going to be unlike the birth of any other child. You don't, you don't find stories of magi. Wise men from other countries traveling around to come and bring gifts before any other children. You understand this, right? This is God through the power, the supernatural working of orchestrating things to have happen to announce this this, uh, coming of Jesus here to earth. Now, what we do know uh, about these, uh, these magi is that they were serious about what they were doing. They were serious. It doesn't take just a little while, all right, to travel via jet from northern Iraq or northern Iran over to Jerusalem. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You just don't jump in the car and go on the highway, you know. They had to set out. They had to strategize. They had to plan. They had to hook up uh, with one another and coordinate uh, this trip. But they were willing to do that because they were committed to worship. Now, you might say, I'm not so sure that they worshipped him as God, all right, like, like we understand Jesus the babe to be, but to worship, as was when people would call someone Lord, all right, is they would declare the worth. They would declare the worth of this individual, and they sensed that this baby was going to be worth a whole lot. The Magi were men of, of interest, and as I said, in, in looking into the, some of the scientific uh, developments that were happening in that particular time in history, you can see that this made sense, that they would uh, study these things. But we also see that there was this particular phenomenon that happened in the sky, and a star appeared. Now, there's been various ideas of what this star was, uh, uh, an exploding star possibly, or something that was, was uh, just was new. And uh, how many of you know that, that that's not beyond God? It's interesting to me how many people try to take or have to take some th- type of scientific proof of that something could happen before they will actually believe it. In other words, there's individuals who dig into this and say, you know what, we found out that, that Jonah, if he was to go ahead and have this particular circumstance and this thing take place, or whatever, like that, how he could have survived for three days within the belly of a whale, and we found this to be the case. We found out that, you know, this, uh, this ark, you know, if it, if it, if it was this big and, and they'd done certain things. I'm not, I'm not giving you all the details, but how many of you know they, 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 they will only believe once they feel like science has proven that? I want to tell you something today. God so far surpasses everything that science has ever put out, all right? All right, I, I, I'm not saying it's not good that science can show some of this stuff, but I'm telling you that God is never limited by science, all right? He's created all of the atmosphere. He's created all of everything that we have. And the moment that you try to look towards the wisdom of man to try to figure things out, that's the moment that you're going to become even more confused, all right? So listen, if God says it, then you can count on it. It's good, all right? Take it to the bank. Now, the Magi, 
I don't think that they were looking for Herod, all right, to go to get answers from him. They understood very much about probably the, uh, the history, about the uh, very character of this man. He was probably about 70 years of age by this time. And uh, he probably had uh, at least 10 wives, uh, from what we can see. He had multiple children. He changed his wills a bunch of times. Some people had fallen in favor with him and out of favor with him. And, you know, and, and if he didn't like anybody, then he just whacked them off, right? He just, he just cut them off, cut their heads off, whacked their heads off. They were done. So why would it be any different for a baby who was going to be prophesied to become the king when he's the king. He didn't want anybody there. So they didn't go looking for King Herod. But once they were doing in their search, we find here, look at Matthew chapter 2 with me. It's there on the screen before you. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. It doesn't say they, they ask him that, but here the deal is, is that they have come to worship him. How many, see, I, I told you this, right? They came to worship him. And it made such a stress in the land and, and, and through King Herod and through, the, uh, through the, the, those in Jerusalem that they were like, what in the world is going on? Now, I'm sure that the Magi were kind of a little bit wondering why is it if we are perceiving that this is such an important child to be born how come everybody else isn't searching for him i mean they have access to some of the same writings and the prophecies to which we're getting our information from they had to shrug their shoulders and say what in the world is going on here a word obviously traveled very quickly in jerusalem and certainly King Herod found this out and he brought them before him and says, what is this I hear? Tell us, tell me of this baby so that I might be able to worship him as well. And we know that that wasn't the way of him. That wasn't his plan. Instead, he had sought to take out the threat against his kingdom. Herod, though he was unwittingly, you know, um, uh, not aware of the, these, these, all of these things and these happenings, he was still used as a, uh, a facilitator in God's will being carried out. Because it was only after they went and they appeared before Herod that they actually received some more specific directions from these other teachers of the law. Oh, yeah, that's that prophecy that spoke of the Messiah. I mean, this isn't like it was just somebody else, all right? This is what they had been looking for. Do you understand how desperate and gloomy things were? There had not been a word from God through the prophets for 400 years. The nation of Israel had not heard, had not been moved. There was no verification. It was almost like God is dead. This God, whom had been with their, their, their forefathers who had brought them through the Red Sea, who had, who had done all these mighty miracles and battles and all those things. And then 400 years ago, their grandpa, their grandma, their great-grandma, their great-grandpa, everybody, they didn't have any stories anywhere anymore for 400 years of God's existence. 
I guess you can kind of figure it out why maybe maybe it was just a little bit of a um, maybe it was a legend. Maybe maybe that the stories that we heard from pre the 400 years ago, maybe it wasn't all that. You could see where some people would be lulled into that way of thinking. Do you not? I want you to think for a moment of the similarity behind some of the situations that we're experiencing in the world today. Do you think there's a fragment of people out there today who's trying to downplay or trying to make look unreal the very existence of God? Trying to get you to buy into the idea that, you know what, this has all just been a figment of your imagination? trying to get us to experience those dark years all over again as we continue to live our lives and, and continue to go about things, business as usual, without any recognition and realization of God today? Do you think that some of that work is at, is, is at hand? It absolutely is. And there's a threat. There's a threat to mankind's rulership. And it may not be a king by the name of Herod, but I suggest to you there's a spirit by the name of the Antichrist who's trying to put within the hearts and the minds of God's people. It's all bogus. You don't really have to pay much attention to that anymore. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 9, it says, And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw uh, the, the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. There was like this, this bright spot of, of good news. Well, there it is, and it's beginning to move. We didn't quite know the direction to go. We've got some information from King Herod and the chief priests and the other people who were studying the matters of prophecy. And they, they, they saw the star that moved, and they bowed down and worshipped him and presented him, right, with these gifts. Some people wonder, you know, where this gift giving gets involved and becomes, you know, popular at Christmas time. And, and uh, we have very much commercialized uh, this whole Christmas season. You know, we are receiving calls, and, 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 and I, I mean no disregard to anybody or uh, disrespect to somebody. I, I believe if we can help make Christmas special for people, then, then we ought to do it. We've done it. We do it here in this church. But there's some individuals who think that unless they have a ton of gifts in order to give to somebody, that it's going to be a disappointing Christmas for people. If I can't give gifts, there's some people who won't go to gatherings or parties and such because their gift isn't comparable to what somebody else has to offer. Can I suggest to you we're missing the point of gift giving if that's our motive? If that's what starts to go through our mind? If you feel like what you present to someone out of the, out of the goodness of your own heart is not going to be an acceptable gift, a grace to them, I really think we need to rethink this, amen? <laughs> I think we need to rethink what things that we've been caught up into. I think we need to become like the, the Magi. They bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down 
and did something that was they only kind of had a, a bird's eye view of. You know what I'm saying? They weren't worshiping him in that moment as their savior. He didn't die at that particular point to take away their sins. But guess what? They understood something special. Their response to this coming of Jesus changed everything for them. Oh, come, all ye faithful. Sing it with me. Joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Amen. That's what we can do today. We have an understanding about it that they didn't understand. The Magi kick-started something, got something happening that ought to resonate within us because we have information they didn't have. This um, January, we're going to do something to start out the year. And I like to do it corporately. But I do it as a sign of worship. I don't do it because it's required. I don't do it because everybody else is doing it. I do it because of the significance and the symbolism of saying, it's the start of a brand new year. And I want to, from the very onset of this year, declare that God is more valuable, is more important to me than anything else. And certainly throughout the year, I battle my flesh. Does anyone else battle your flesh? And I want to say in walk in victory and say, this flesh will not rule or reign in me. My stomach does not dictate what I have to have, right? My taste buds do not dictate what is important to me. And so while we're celebrating Christmas, I want you to get ready for a worship event that we're going to do for 21 days for this whole church, all right? And, and I, it really doesn't matter to me how you do it, but we're going to set aside a time of prayer and fasting, a time in which we say, Lord, we need you more than anything that this world has to offer, more than any, any uh, uh, recreational events, more than anything that, that, that brings me joy that, that is, that's temporary, that's going to pass away, more than any food item or drink item. Listen, the only thing I need, can you say that? The only thing I need is Jesus because Jesus will provide for me every avenue, every source of sustenance that I have need of. He will lead me into those areas. Listen, he is the good shepherd, right? He will watch over me. He will protect me. He will guide in me. He, he, he does those things for us, especially when we put him first. So we're going to venture into, on, on January 5th, 
uh, time of prayer and fasting. And the fasting that I'm going to do and I invite a number of you to do, it's kind of a healthy way of doing this, is to go into the year with what we call a Daniel fast. And I describe it very simply this way, and there's various variations of this particular fast, but that is that we would not eat of anything that is of delicacies, and nothing with any sugar in it, and nothing with any yeast in it, nothing that's, uh, no meat, all right, who, yeah, no meat, all vegetables, things of the ground, all right, things born of the ground, all right, and, 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 and you eat, and believe it or not, you will survive. Listen, there's vegetarians who survive like that all the time, right? Maybe someone here, it's, it's not any big deal, deal for you. Maybe you're vegan or you're, you're vegetarian already. But one thing I want to encourage you to do is if you have a hard time with it, it's probably all the more reason that you should do it. <laughs> but I want you to get here in the midst of this why it is that I think it's important for you to do. It's because it's an opportunity to demonstrate to yourself and to others, all right, that your sustenance, that your strength, that your desire to bring before him and worship him, you're going to bring this body low so that he can lift you up, all right? You're going to say, I'm going to look at the delicacies that this world has to offer, and I'm going to say they pale in comparison to the desire that I have to worship you. And, and, and we're going to bring our gift, all right, is our life. Our gift can be our sacrifice. Now, we know that obedience is more important than sacrifice, but it doesn't do away with this importance of sacrifice, right? And so I want to ask you to join me uh, and prepare for that two weeks before the event actually takes place. Probably three weeks, all right? Yeah, three weeks, so that you can start getting ready for it. So you can start getting all that stuff out of your house that might be a temptation to you or whatever. And say, I want to do this. I want together as a church to move forward and to have this time of prayer and fasting. And we're going to set up some times of prayer. You're going to hear more about that. Now, King Herod responded, obviously, in a way that changed everything for him. Changed everything in that region, in that land. And we tell this story, a very, very sad story of the account. It says, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out uh, from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may, too may go and worship him. And we find in verse 16, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, actually being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its, vicin in, in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Do you know the type of cruelty that has to exist within a man that would do such an act? Do you know the paranoia that, 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 noia that had to exist, the fear I suggest to you today that some people aren't so far away from that still today. When they realize the way in which they live their life could be altered in a manner and way that they don't want anything to do of, they'll do whatever they need to do, and no matter whatever expense it is, in order to have their way. Pastor, what are you talking about? Someone crosses you, you've got things happening in your world, and your life is kind of moving along the way in which you want. And someone ventures up and comes against you. They try to maybe bring correction in your life. They try to bring advice in your life. And what do we do sometimes? 
cut them off. We cut them off. Listen, I don't think there's a whole lot of us here like Herod. But I think there might be some characteristics or some, some actions that we do that might be similar when it comes towards us having our kingdom readjusted, our world readjusted. Someone comes to you and says, you know, <laughs> let me sh show you what the word of God says that you should be involved in, what things you should be doing. And all of a sudden, you start to say, hmm, I'm not sure I want any part of that prayer and fasting that you just mentioned, Pastor. And you know what? I, I, I really don't want to have to face you and when you ask me how you doing in your prayer and fasting. So I'm just going to vacate for a little while. <laughs> Attendance goes down in, on the first of the year. People don't want to show up because they want to be team players, right? Am I stressing this? Am I making this important? Yeah, I am. Because I want to tell you, it's the way. It's a reality. We kid about it. We joke about it. But is that not what the enemy tries to tell us? That, listen, well, the moment that you, God starts to spur you on and tell you to take risk and to come out of your comfort zones, and all of a sudden you say, uh-uh, I don't want anything to do with that. You shut down that form of input in your life. You don't want to listen to that speaker anymore. You don't want to listen to that friend anymore. You don't want to pray anymore, right? Because God's dealing with you about things you need to cut out of your life. And you say, uh-uh, how about I cut you out? How about I take you, because you're in the way of my kingdom goals. Huh. It's tough. The cunning and the cruelty of Herod that was displayed in the slaughter of innocent children. He never hesitated to use his power. Each and every one of us have been given an authority. We've been given the right to rule our lives and to do the things that we want to do. God's given that to you. He doesn't make you do anything. You're free. He says everything is permissible. Uh-huh. Everything is permissible, says the Apostle Paul, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. But not everything is beneficial. You start to talk to somebody about what the word of God has and some of the restraints that are there. And, and I don't concentrate upon this, but you gotta get, i got to give you the full gospel. i got you to understand here today that the Lord has laid out a better way of living. But my response will change everything, right? He has come into your life. He is trying to rule. He is trying to reign. He is trying to rearrange your priorities. And he's trying to get you to investigate and evaluate what things you have declared that are valuable in your life. What things don't you want him to come in and rearrange? What don't you want him to do with your day? With the friends that you have, with the shows you watch, with the music you listen to with the way in which you speak. You say, that stuff affects me? Listen, everything's permissible. Not one, not one act of participation in those events sends you to hell. But not everything is beneficial for building you up. Not everything is constructive for building up and causing so that you can get to a place to where you're a rock that will not be moved. 
Every single one of us have the opportunity to be this powerful force, this, this force to be reckoned with. But the enemy wants to tear down and, and, and take away a little bit at a time. He wants you to take up on an attitude of King Herod that says, listen, you're coming in and going to try to take down my world the way in which I want to live it. Uh-uh, I'm going to cut it out. I know it feels like a far fetch maybe for you in this application, but consider it for a moment. You are the one that's in charge of your life right now. Right? Are you not a king in that particular manner? Are you not the one who gets to decide what you do or don't do? And there's this message that the king is coming. The king is coming. And there will be a day of reckoning. And each and every one of us will get to stand before him and be judged according to what things we either like or don't like. The things we've been involved in or not involved in. And he is going to judge us and say, was you about my kingdom or about your kingdom? (laughs) Herod's response to the arrival of the Magi was totally consistent with the things that was ruling and reigning in his life. Self-preservation. So he inquired of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And then he left no question about what he was going to do. He'd made up his mind. Nobody's going to take my kingdom from me. Nobody's going to take my right to make my decisions. Let's look for a moment with the response of Jerusalem. Remember how Jerusalem responded. (laughs) Now we're... It's absolutely horrible when we think about the response of of King Herod, right? That innocent lives like that. But here is the people of Jerusalem who had studied the scriptures, been absent of a prophetic word demonstrating God's existence for 400 years. I mean, I, I get that. But now the news comes of this prophecy becoming a reality. And what do they do? They're distressed. They're disturbed. Five miles away in Bethlehem is the fulfillment of a story and of an account that's been told to you over and over and over again. But guess what? You're too busy. We're too busy. This, is, this creates stress for us. Well, hey, maybe they knew of what Herod and how he was going to respond. Maybe they knew of the things that was going to take place there. They didn't want anything to do with it. I wonder if there is an oppression. I wonder if there's a spirit of oppression that comes upon the world, the world today, upon the church today, that still tries to get us to ignore or to be apathetic towards this news of the coming of the king. Some might say, well, we've heard that before, and yet we have not seen the result of it. We haven't seen the response we haven't seen these things. Where, where are the miracles today? How do we know that if we pray that it will actually change things? Isn't there stories of that absolutely nothing happening? Jerusalem failed to find the announcement of the birth of their king sufficient reason to travel. And the parallel that I'd like to make to us today is how much of us are like Jerusalem? 
to where we are so consumed in living our lives that we won't take the time in order to travel down a path to say, Lord, I need you more. I need you to direct. I need you to guide. I need you to deliver. I recognize you as the source of everything. Because if we did, there'd be nothing that could keep us away. We'd be leading the way. We wouldn't be telling the Magi how to get there. If they understood it, they'd be saying, we want to go with you. You're right. But this announcement has sort of taken the city by surprise. This sudden announcement that finally this promised Messiah was being born was being treated as something that was in their way. Listen, i got to be truthful with you. I've heard for a long time, and I've only lived for 53 short years, <laughs> that Jesus is coming back. And I've heard him say there's nothing else that has to be done. I believe in the imminent return of Christ, and I believe that. But I can't make a promise to you if it's in the next 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, or more. The one thing I can tell you is that the life that I live, when I bring attention to the arrival of this king, both in a historical sense and in the future sense of what's going to happen, it changes everything for me. It changes my passions. It changes my personality. It changes how I interact with other people. It makes me a better person because I believe it. I believe, I don't know if I'll see it in my day. I don't know if I'll see it before death comes to my door here on this earth. But the one thing that I do know is that he is coming back very soon. He is coming back and, and I want to proclaim it. And I don't want to be caught like Jerusalem, whom seems to be put out because of this arrival of the pending of this king. I don't want it to seem like it's an inconvenience. Like is made by some people in the world today. In the church world today. It's an inconvenience to take an hour and a half to two hours. To come and to gather together as the Lord says to do in the last day. All the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. It's an inconvenience. I can still be a Christian and not gather together with other saints. The word of God says it's not dependent upon your actions. But listen, it is for my benefit. It is for my good. Do you think about all the things, the things that we do on a, on, on a regular basis without even thinking about them that take a, just a fraction of our, of our 24 hours in a day, but we wouldn't think of passing those things over because it's necessary. You know what thing I've invited into my life that really wasn't necessary, but now there's a necessary action to follow up? We have a dog. Does anyone else have a dog? There is no question that in the morning when I get up, no matter how cold it is, no matter how bad the weather is, that I'm going out with a raincoat, a coat, an umbrella, and I'm going to walk and get that dog outside so he can do his business. <laughs> All natural there. All natural activity but absolutely necessary. I wouldn't think of just saying, 
I just feel I'm like I'm too tired. I'm just going to sleep in this morning. Because waiting for me somewhere is going to be the evidence of my ignorance. <laughs> and I invited that into my life. This responsibility. I wouldn't think of not doing it. I wouldn't think of consciously not putting on my deodorant or brushing my teeth. I wouldn't think consciously of not preparing myself to go and be places and to do things. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't think consciously about whether to eat or not to eat. It's part of what I do. It's a necessity. And here the thing is, is that you've invited Christ into your life. And so somehow, some way, we have a responsibility and a privilege and an honor to maintain a relationship and to get excited about every aspect of the things that that means, of all of the trickle-down effects that's going to happen when I make him my, my master, my savior, my Lord, right? When I worship him, guess what? I get to get up and I get to say, praise the Lord for you have set me free. You've given me life when I was destined for death. I get to acknowledge him. I get to ask him for directions. I get to ask him for guidance. I get to be challenged in, in the things that I may be doing right, but also the things I may be doing wrong. But you know what? If I don't do it, you can expect decay. You can expect deterioration. It's not because God went anywhere. It's because I neglected an opportunity, an honor, and a privilege that I have. And I've moved down this path of, of being apathetic that leads to a pathetic condition of my soul. And guess what? It is not acceptable. It's not acceptable for me to just to go through life and to see this arrival, this pending arrival of Jesus returning the second time. It's just something I can either experience or not experience. It may happen in my lifetime or it may not happen in my lifetime. And so that determines how excited I get about it or how excited I don't get about it. Listen, I wonder what would happen if the body of Christ took in upon themselves the opportunity, the privilege to be hungering and to coming after the presence of God as much as you can until you see his return you may not know when it will happen you may not know when that prayer request will become a reality but you know that God is with you walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you have every reason not to fear evil or you can be like those in Jerusalem who are disturbed and troubled <laughs> that this babe is going to come hmm Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. We have some instructions for us. And praise team, come if you would, please. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. <laughs> Those in Jerusalem 
in that particular time frame who were disturbed about the arrival of Christ were so disturbed with the disruption that he caused in their life that a number of them 30 years from that particular event responded by coming out into the streets and saying, crucify him, crucify him. You see, your response has and will affect everything. If you respond in a negative way towards what God wants from you, to bless you, to honor you, to grow you up, and you see it as work and labor-intensive and, and really unnecessary and, 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 and really just kind of, I see other people who grow in the Lord. I see other people who have blessings, and, and they don't pray like you're talking, Pastor, praying. They don't you deny themselves of things, you know. I mean, look at the world. If you try to compare yourself to others and don't realize that it's important for you to put your hand to the plow and not look back. If you don't realize how important it is to, to, to deny yourself daily, to take up your cross and follow after him, then something will begin to happen within you. It's a privilege and an honor. But if you don't see it as that, animosity will begin to build within you and an irritation towards God. And every moment that his Holy Spirit comes in and convicts and tries to steer you in another direction, your response will be, cut it out. Cut it off. I don't want anything to do with that. And your growth level, you plateau. Some people say, Pastor, I don't feel like I'm being challenged or I'm not growing. I want to tell you something. That responsibility is fully yours. And what will shape what happens in you is how you respond to this message that the king is coming. If you get excited about it and you realize that there are so many people who are destined for hell, if you realize that you have been put here as an ambassador, an agent of life-giving words and life-giving actions, and all of a sudden you're looking all around you and you could see all the chaos and dysfunction that's happening, and you say, but let me tell you something. I got some good news for you. You see, my life may not be perfect. I may have some challenges, but I've got a joy unspeakable full of glory. I want to tell you something. I could say joy to the world, right? Because of what he's done in me. You're not going to find me like Herod. You're not going to find me like Jerusalem. You're going to find me like those magi who come. <laughs> and I'm looking hard. And I'm trying to find anything that would try to distract me or detour me. And I'm trying to take those things out of my life and say, get me. Get me into the presence of the Savior so that I might worship him. Amen? Bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We're thankful that you've given us this opportunity to gather. Oh, Lord. Come. Make yourself real. Make yourself real. Show us, Lord, how special that we are to you. Come, Lord Jesus. This Christmas, I believe, you are coming. You're coming to our hearts. You're coming to our minds. You're creating an awareness within us. 
And our response to this news will change everything for us. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. You're here in this place today. And you know that you have not been responding in an appropriate way to the bidding of the Holy Spirit upon your life. But you want that to change. Does that make sense to you? You sense the Holy Spirit bidding you. He, he, he's spurring you on. He's encouraging you. And rather than responding in the way that you know that he would want you to go, you have shed it off. You have not taken the responsibility. And you're saying, today that stops. Today I respond to you, Holy Spirit, and I'm coming after you with everything that I can. I want to be a difference maker myself. You're here this day and that's you. Raise up your hand right now in this place. Holy Spirit's dealing with you. Come on. All across this sanctuary, all across this place, you know who you are. It's so common for us all to be at this spot at one point or another, but here we are. Amen. There's hope for you. There's celebration for you right now. All across the sanctuary, people raise their hands. You can put them down now. Maybe you're here today and you say, i got to start my relationship. I, it's not so much that I've shut off the responsibility. I haven't received. I haven't entertained that i got to bow my knee. i got to confess with my tongue that he is Lord. And I want to do that today. Today I want a fresh start. Here today, who is here today and say, I need a fresh start. i got to have God as my, or Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Where are you at today in this place? Anybody here today? Yes, God bless you. God bless you. I see that. You can put your hands down. Amen. Anyone else here today? Anyone else here today? It's a fresh start. It's a fresh start. Amen. Pray this prayer with me, everybody in this place. Heavenly Father, we thank you for never giving up on us. We ask you now to grow in us, to show us how we can live a life that will be pleasing to you. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins and washing us from all unrighteousness. We choose to live for you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.